0: Hi Islanders, it's Cambo here. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair for tonight's special edition. It's a crossover episode I recorded with my mate Sam from the Hidden Staircase podcast. If you haven't listened to her podcast, please do yourself a favour and subscribe. Tonight, we tell you the story of the Batavia. And without further ado, let's get stuck into it.
1: Close your eyes and imagine a room. Its walls are covered in antique wallpaper, now torn and faded. If you look closely, you can see the outline of a secret door, a door that will open if you are willing to enter. There is a staircase there that ascends into the darkness, and at its base, a room filled with terrible wonders. It is a library of mysteries, a catalogue of terrors. The pages of his books are stained with ink capturing moments of time stained with blood. Its shelves are weighted with stories yet to be told, with the answers to questions that have yet to be asked. Those stories are waiting for you, at the bottom of the hidden staircase.
0: The story of the Batavia was one of the most mysterious sea disappearances after it vanished in 1629. There had been numerous searches in effort to locate the missing ship and it wouldn't be until 1963 the wreckage of the missing ship would be found. Combined with what was found on a nearby island, it became one of the most horrific mysteries in history. But before I get to the mutiny of the Batavia, I need to tell you a little bit about the Dutch East India Company, or VOC. It was originally established as a chartered company in 1602, when the Dutch government granted it a 21-year monopoly on the Dutch spice trade, a pioneering early model of the multinational corporations that we have today. The company... ...is also often considered to be the world's first true transnational corporation. In the early 1600s, VOC became the first company to issue bonds and shares of stock to the general public. It was also the first to be listed on an official stock exchange. As the first historical model of the quasi-fictional concept of the mega corporation the VOC possessed quasi-governmental powers, including the ability to wage war, imprison and execute convicts, negotiate treaties, strike its own coins and establish colonies. That sounds like a nice place to work. The company was formed to profit from the Malucan spice trade and in 1619, it forcibly established a capital in the port city of... Of Jayakarta changing the name to Batavia which is modern-day Jakarta over the next two centuries the company acquired additional ports as trading bases and safeguarded their interests by taking over surrounding territory so these guys were the number one in the world trade between Europe and Asia
1: now we need to know a little bit about one of their ships the Batavia it was built in Amsterdam, Dutch Republic, in 1628, and armed with 24 cast iron cannons and a number of bronze guns. On October 27, 1628, the newly built Batavia, commissioned by the Dutch East India Company, sailed from Texel to the Dutch East Indies to obtain spices. It was sailed under the command of Francisco Pellicert, and Arian Jacobs was serving as a skipper. There were 322 people on board, which included families, children, and soldiers that guarded the spices that were being transported. The ship also carried massive amounts of gold and silver in order to purchase additional spices. There were multiple chests filled with works of art and jewels that were also to be sold to the Mogul of India. The emotions were already at a high due to Pelesart and Jacobs not getting along. They previously had an altercation in Surat when Jacobs became drunk and insulted Pellissart in front of merchants. He was publicly stripped down and made an example of. It's not known if Pellissart remembered this encounter, but Jacobs did. The route that the VOC ships would take was to leave Amsterdam and head through the English Channel towards the east coast of Brazil, rather than head towards the west coast of Africa where the ships could be becalmed for days or weeks.
0: Violent storms in the North Sea? separated most of the ships which left the Batavia, Assendelf and the Buren in a group that had sight of each other. As they came to the southern latitudes around 40 degrees south, they would encounter what's called the Roaring Forties. This would speed them across the southern Atlantic and southern Indian oceans towards the Cape of Good Hope at not quite the southernmost point of Africa. Here they stopped and took on supplies. As the ship passed the Cape of Good Hope, they sailed towards what is now known as the West Coast of Australia. But Jacobs intentionally steered the ship away from the two other ships in the fleet. His co-conspirator was Geronimus Cornelis, a bankrupt pharmacist who was fleeing to the Netherlands. They couldn't take over with just the two of them. So in order to try and gain sympathy and recruit, they tried manipulating the commander into giving out unfair punishments.
1: One plan was the molestation of a merchant's daughter, Lucretia Johns. They had hoped that the commander would punish the whole crew, but unfortunately for them, she was able to identify her attackers and they were forced to wait until the commander made the arrests. But Pellissart had fallen ill, and the rest never came, and they didn't get the sympathy they had hoped for. The moods reached the boiling point on June 4, 1629, but it wasn't caused by a hostile takeover. The ship hit Morning Reef, 60 kilometers or 37 miles off the coast of Western Australia. The women and children were sent on a long boat to a nearby island while the rest of the passengers scrambled to reach the island. Forty drowned in their efforts. The troubles were just the beginning, though. There was no fresh water, and their only food sources were sea lions and birds. They got together a group of scouts, which included Pellissart, Jacobs, and a few senior officers, some crew, and passengers. Their goal was to get to the mainland. With no luck, they made their way to the Batavia, with stops along the way to search for fresh water. After 33 days, they found water on the island of Nusa Kambangan. ...at Yardy Creek in Western Australia.
0: They finally reached Batavia. The Governor-General told them to go back... ...and try to salvage what they could of the cargo on the ship. But they mainly wanted the treasure. Meanwhile on the island, Cornelis was looking after the remaining survivors. But what they didn't know was Cornelis had begun a campaign of terror... Almost immediately after the scout boat was over the horizon, Cornelius and his team began taking control. They immediately commandeered all of the food supply. Everyone was now at their mercy. Cornelius then began to take out all who could possibly overthrow him. A soldier named Weeb Hayes, along with his men were sent to a neighbouring island in search of water. Cornelius' real reason was to exile them in order to take them out of the equation. With them out of the way, Cornelius began his torturous terror, killing everyone who didn't follow his orders. He and his crew also slaughtered those they believed would be a waste of limited resources, and that included women and children. The women that they didn't kill became their sex slaves.
1: Everyone lived in fear. They were either savagely beaten or killed for little to no reason at all. Cornelius remembered when him and Jacobs were planning their takeover. Jacobs said that 45 was the correct number of people that could be sustained for a long period of time. Cornelius was not shy about dwindling their numbers down, eventually killing over a 100 people. Cornelius became delusional and thought he could take over the scout ship upon their return. He then would salvage the Batavia for the treasure and with a select few would try to start their own kingdom. They were drunk with power and were addicted with the thrill of killing. They believed they were gods, completely invincible and that no one would get in their way, but there was something that they didn't realize.
0: Soldier Hayes and his men.
1: Not only did they survive the Dune mission, but they found ample water and food. Not knowing of the horror that was happening on the nearby island, he had sent smoke signals back to the others. Survivors saw, and in secret, they made rafts to flee and made their way to Hayes. Hayes was horrified at what the survivors told him, but that didn't deter him from taking action. They fashioned weapons with whatever they could find. It was only a matter of time before Cornelius and his men came, because he knew they had seen the smoke signals. And it didn't take long. With their resources depleted, Cornelius came. They were looking to steal from Hayes' group and kill them.
0: It didn't end well for Cornelius and his men. The mutineers were driven back and Cornelius was captured. The mutineers suffered a heavy loss. However, they managed to regroup under the new command of Wooter-Lewis. They were better prepared the second time round. They were heavily armed with firearms they were able to salvage from the Patavia. They hit hard and Hayes and his men were almost defeated. But on the horizon Hayes saw the rescue ship. He was able to sneak away and he made his way to the ship. After Hayes explained to Pelset what had happened, the balance of power shifted. He told of the planned mutiny and all of the senseless death. With combined forces, they were able to overcome the mutineers and put an end to the slaughter. A trial was organised there on the island. Many of the mutineers were sent to the nearby Seal Island and were executed. Cornelia's punishment for his crimes, his hands were cut off and was hanged. He never once showed any remorse for his actions. Lois and some of the other conspirators were banished to the mainland of Australia, never to be heard from again. The remaining mutineers were taken to Batavia to be tried and most were executed. Hayes was hailed as a hero and was promoted by the Dutch East India Company. Unfairly, Pelset was accused of being careless in his duties. They said he should have felt that something was wrong. As a punishment, most of his assets were frozen.
1: Out of the 322 passengers and crew, only 68 survived. It wouldn't be for another 300 years that their story would truly be understood. Well, what did you think of Murder Island? Will you come back for another?
0: So that was a, an amazing story, Sam. What do, you, what do you reckon?
2: Well, it was weird because, one, why would Pelsart just leave knowing that there is issues with Jacobs? I know they probably weren't even thinking about that. They were mainly trying to think about how saving everybody. So, But still, with those issues that he had with them, I probably wouldn't have left anybody who was close to him in charge.
0: Well, I I guess what it gets down to is they had no water or food on that little island. And these journeys were absolute epics. They just took months and months and months. And the only way any of them could survive, and it's not so much survival, I don't think. It's more getting the treasure as well. So if he takes off with a few people, tries to find supplies and some help, he can come back and, okay, he does uh, rescue some of these people and some of them, I think, were wives of wealthy men, but he can get as much of the treasure back to where it was supposed to go in the first place.
2: Yeah, to a point. I mean, when you read through everything, I know that he was more concerned at the time with trying to rescue everybody and was it the governor who was like, no, you need to go back to get the treasure? Pretty much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. There was a big thing for the money. I mean, they did want to get the people back. Like I said, you know, some of them were wives and all this. But now, this Jacobs guy and Cornelius, they were pretty dodgy guys. So, yeah, he did leave them on the island. I guess in a million years, he didn't realize he was, they were going to go that crazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, plus spending all that time on a ship, anybody actually is a subject to go a little nuts. But the depravity of Cornelius, I don't even think Jacob actually fully realized what he was getting into with that guy.
0: Yeah, and they'd worked out that they needed about 46 people. They could uh, they could survive with what they had. So they were just killing people left, right, and center. And there was, wasn't much... Anyone could do about it until those first lot of guys were able to get away, find a little bit of food and water, and then come back and attack. And it wasn't until uh, Pelset came back that they were actu- actually able to kill the mutiny off. And they did get what they deserved, didn't they? He got his hands cut off and hung.
2: And it still didn't even phase him. No. I mean, he, he didn't show any remorse whatsoever. So I think he was properly mad. I don't even think I had anything. I mean, yeah, probably. I'm not sure. Maybe the heat was bad or what. But I think he just fell off his rocker and didn't even care anymore.
0: Yeah, looking back, like I said, these epic journeys, and I don't know what he thought he was going to accomplish. Because what what was he going to do? Get an i some sort of island and make a castle on there and set up. I don't know, some sort of community. I mean, he's shown the people that he's got, he's quite willing to kill them all off. So it's not like everyone's gone, oh, okay, we'll go off to an island with you with all this stolen stuff and we'll make our own country.
2: No, yeah, definitely, because especially because since there's, of course, no GPS or anything, if he was managed to find a ship and get his crew off of the ship, they'd have really no way of finding them. So I Think that was part of his reasoning is like, well, we can get a ship, we can get away, nobody will find us. But still, the kill all these people off.
0: Yeah, I think that's that was where they've gone crazy.
2: Yeah.
0: He like I said, the he thing, thing
2: that them. got to me. Yeah, the thing that got to me the most was um, killing the the children because they couldn't contribute anything. I'm like, come on now, <laughs> you don't you don't have to kill the children.
0: And and it's funny because Australia is such a huge place right there, but it's it hasn't been, you know, developed. So there was absolutely nothing there that they could get. And it's this huge place. It wasn't like they could just get onto Australians' mainland and, uh, you know, start eating stuff. They didn't have the skills to survive in the Australian bush.
2: Yeah, because Hayes was able, as soon as he was um, sent off with his men, he was able to find plenty of food and stuff. So, I mean... Regardless of if Cornelius was off his rocker, I mean, I think that was just his mindset as soon as he even got to the island. He was just like, I'm just going to start killing everybody off. I'm not even going to wait to see if we're able to find anything. I just need to make sure I get my team in place to try to take over when they come back.
0: Yeah, it wasn't until 1963 that a lot of the mystery was solved and the horrific things that happened during the shipwreck.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is pretty surprising because, one, I read through um, Pelsart's journal and then with the news, um, not the news articles, the publishings that I read from that time. It's hard to believe that it really did get lost. And with the time, because it was just so disturbing and so bloody, it's hard to imagine that something like that would just kind of fall through the cracks.
0: Well, that was a good story, wasn't it?
2: It, I mean, it really was when I was researching, the more I read, the more I was looking into it. I'm like, God, this this is insane. I just don't know wh- why or how this even happened. But, of course, with being on a ship for a long time with deep-seated anger, I mean, it's always possible. But that just to that depravity, it just baffled me. I mean, I, I don't know. It was, just, <laughs> it was just a crazy story.
0: And it gets down to greed sometimes and what people will do for money.
2: Oh, yeah, especially with Cornelius being a bankrupt pharmacist. I mean, I could see why he was more into the money and starting his own new life. I just think he could have maybe found a different way to do it instead of slaughtering over 100 people Yeah, well, just to only get executed in the end.
0: Well, only 68 survived of the 322 that took off so yeah pretty horrific
2: yeah i i hope that maybe in the future they might find some more on it besides what they have but all in all just from hell search journal and the articles that we see now maybe we might get more in depth of in depth of what really happened but just from what i'm reading so far it's just it's just a fucked up story
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay sam well that was a good story and uh thanks for inviting me on your show
2: oh it's no trouble anytime you want to come on you're more than welcome to
0: excellent well have a good night
2: oh i'm gonna try i'm starting my work day now
0: So, that's the end of the first crossover episode I've done. And again, thanks to Sam from The Hidden Staircase for setting it all up. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I go, I would first like to thank everyone for voting in the Australian Podcast Awards. We've made it into the top 10 finalists for the popular vote. So if you haven't voted yet, go to AustralianPodcastAwards.com and then click on the popular vote link and vote for the island. You need to register first, but that's pretty easy and get your co-workers and your, all your significant others to vote. It's your island and I want to shout boomfuckalunga to the world for you all. I'd like to mention that my mate, great mates Tara and Barney from Bloody Murder are also finalists, as well as being nominated for the comedy section. Broderick from Felon is also in the top 10 for the popular vote and you can vote for more than one podcast so if you're not sure if you want to vote for Felon or Bloody Murder or True Crime Island you can vote for us all next week it is a shocking episode so much I had to put it off for two weeks rather than air it last week now I'll do all the Patreon shout outs next week as well but thank you for everyone who has supported the the show be it in merch sales, Patreon, PayPal, or just spreading the word via social media. I do have a promo tonight for Men's Rea Podcast by Sinead. It's a fortnightly true crime podcast that discusses crime in Ireland and the UK. Men's Rhea refers to the mental element of intent required to prove certain crimes that have, have been committed, just like murder. Every two weeks they delve into the most notorious crimes and examine the people involved, the investigation of the police and the court cases that followed. So, this has been Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.
1: Men's Rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally, the guilty mind. The Men's Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK, and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, Head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Men's Rea podcast today.